Coming up this time, a special request from Cluffy. I got a call from Peter Taylor. He said, uh, Keith, uh, Mr. Clough's asked me to contact you. He wants you to referee Nottingham Forest versus Tampa Bay Rowdies. There'll be a small number of fans. I, and I said, well, if it's a friendly match, you normally use referees in the Nottingham area. He said, oh, no, he specifically asked you to come down and referee this particular match. Plus, why it's always advisable for the referee to accept a meat pie from the groundsman before the match. And I'm sat in the dressing room and in he walks with like half a dozen beaming up pies and says, here you are, Keith, have one of these. And I go, I can't have one of them before the game. He goes, no, have one. And I go, no, it's OK. And he goes, listen, you ought to have one, mate, because it's one less pie that it can destroy <laughs> if you make the dodgy call. You're listening to The Green Jumper Pod with me, Marcus Alton, the editor of the tribute website, brianclough.com. And my guest today is one of the all-time great referees. Listed in the FIFA Top 100, he also led the organisation that even officiates the officials. That's the Professional Game Match Officials Limited, or PGMOL. As Cluffy might have said, he wasn't the best referee in the business, but he was in the top one. It's a warm welcome to the man in the middle, Keith Hackett. Oh, delighted to be on your show, and particularly to be given the opportunity of talking about someone that I admired and respected. Um, he was a great manager, but he was also a really nice bloke. And, uh, you know, one of the rare managers who, who was in charge at the very top level of the game, uh, but still treated referees in a very kind manner. I was going to say, Brian Clough was well known for, for making sure there was never any back chat to the referees from his players. What was it like officiating matches involving Clough's teams? Uh, it was a joy. Uh, hey, th th there was enough players to tell you uh, what they thought, and they would do on occasions. But simple things, you know, I can recall one of the early games just for the players to go back 10 yards and and uh, I didn't have to pace it out. I didn't have to all the nonsense. I didn't have the screaming defenders. They just walked back, and, and that was it. And it it was, in fact, quite refreshing. Uh, but I, I will tell you a story. I, I got a call from Peter Taylor, and uh, I think it was around about 19... It was in the 80s. It was certainly early 80s. It might be 1980. And I got a call from Peter Taylor. He said, uh, uh, Keith... Uh, Mr. Clough's asked me to contact you. He wants you to referee Nottingham Forest versus Tampa Bay Rowdies. There'll be a small uh, number of fans. Uh, and, I, and I said, well, if it's a friendly match, you normally use referees in the Nottingham area. He said, oh, no, I specifically asked you to come down and referee this particular match. I arrived and there was the, the ground was buzzing. Uh, and... Uh, I sort of led to believe there might be a couple of thousand there, but in fact, I think they finished up around about 18,000. And uh, game came in and gave me a really warm greeting. And he said, right, Keith. Uh, uh, oh, no, he didn't. He said, right, Mr. Hackett, uh, I'd like a special arrangement. This is a friendly game. And so from my player's point of view, it's not a friendly. And from your point of view, it's not a friendly. But what we want to try and do is avoid red cards. He said, because that could embarrass the club. So if any player gives you a bit of back chat, uh, look in my direction 
and I'll bring him straight off. And uh, <laughs> we're not long into this game, and uh, Larry Lloyd has stuck a leg out and he's brought the player down. Uh, and I wasn't even going to talk to him. I just awarded a free kick. <laughs> and, not, and on the touchline, I hear the voice shouting, Larry, Larry, Larry. And of course, I turn and look in the direction of Brian Clough. We immediately took Larry Lloyd off. <laughs> that wasn't my intention. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. a few years later, Larry Lloyd became manager of Wigan yes. uh, Athletic. And uh, I can remember arriving at the ground at Wigan, Springfield Park, the, the old stadium, and uh, getting a request from the receptionist to go upstairs and have a chat. And uh, we had a chat about that particular incident. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what we attended... Something that I'll always remember, and many of referees in that era will remember, he attended the referees' conference, the Football League referees' conference uh, in Nottingham, at Nottingham University, and uh, he gave a speech, and he got a standing ovation. Uh, he, he said the things that we probably wanted to hear, that generally we were professional in our approach, and uh, we did a good job. He said, and sometimes I disagree with your decisions. That's life and that's football. But you're totally and utterly underpaid. And I think it might have been that statement that we all leapt to our feet and gave him a standing ovation. But, it, you know, I've always got, I've got some real fond memories about uh, Brian Clough. He, he did talk at, at quite a few um, referee meetings i think uh, where do you think his his respect and, and fondness if you like for for referees came from originally obviously he was a a former player himself do you think he he learned that it just wasn't worth back chatting and it, it got you into more trouble he was a deep thinker you know and i mean uh, i i spoke on the odd occasion privately with him and uh, i think he had this view that referees have got their job to do and footballers have got their job to do. And the two had to meet on the football field and, and, and he wanted players to show respect. And, you know, when you, when you look at what he did, I mean, when Kenny Burns came to Forest, uh, you know, he had a hell of a reputation. And, uh, and I'd refereed him elsewhere and it, it was absolutely incredible how he, he changed. And, and Kenny Burns became a better player. And uh, and he had he had some great players, you know, Martin O'Neill, John Robertson, uh, you know, John McGovern. There were there were, from my point of view, a great side to referee, and he just got on with the game. And and I say it again, they were an easy team to referee, well disciplined, listened to what you had to say, and made life much easier for the referee. Did uh, Brian ever? shout things to you from the touchline when you were refereeing? I'm sure he did, but I think uh, not in the way that you, you hear managers now. I mean, managers now live in a blame culture. And just going back to the question, how, how was that? How did Brian Clough evolve to become that type of manager that respected referees? He played in an era when there were no red and yellow cards. And there was generally, within within the game, respect. I mean, I, many years ago, I spoke to, long gone now, Cesc Colwell, who, who was the captain of Sheffield United. 
and uh, we're talking about had he been cautioned and he got and he and he sort of hesitated and said yeah i think i was uh, i can remember the referee taking him to one side and giving me a little chat and i go well that's not an official caution you know and and i think in that era of players getting on with the game it was it was nice to be able to referee those games for sure I know one of uh, the first Cluffy matches you refereed was when Forest were in the second division, uh, September 76, at home to Carlisle, a, a 5-1 win. Uh, of course, you went on to referee many um, of Cluffy's matches after that. Is there a particular match you, you remember well for a particular incident? I know you mentioned the, the Tampa Bay Rowdies one, but w- was there a cup or a, um, a league match uh, that you remember particularly well? I can remember being a linesman and I used to catch the train. I didn't have a car. So I came down and I walked from the, the station to uh, the city ground, uh, side of the road, and then over the bridge and turn left. And I was walking across the car park and there were the grey and green vans of BBC television. I, I'd never been on television. Um, and I, I, I was quite excited Uh and I went into the dressing room and the referee was Roy Capey and I said to Roy, look, I'm, I'm amazed BBC are here. And he goes, yeah, it's on match of the day. Just treat it normally. Don't don't get sort of OTT with it and just concentrate on your job. But I went out and had a walk around the pitch with him and I suddenly spotted a television camera almost at the same side as the director's box, same side the players came out. One to the right the trend end and uh, and then uh, one down below near the technical area what was in the technical area and um, and I thought if I'm on the opposite wing I'll, my mates will be able to see me tonight on TV and uh, and I got the forest attack and of course uh, I'm uh, amused by the fact that uh, I hadn't seen anything because forest hadn't made an attack and Ali Brown I think of West Brom had got a hat trick and then I'm sort of getting a bit dischuffed, really. Uh, you know, I'm not on TV. I've not raised the flag in anger. I've done nothing other than run up and down the touchline. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, the ball gets kicked to John Robertson, who's about a yard offside inside his own area. Up goes my flag. The referee completely misses it. And John Robertson's heading for goal. And I'm going, oh, please don't score. And of course he does. He puts the ball in the back of the net. I'm going, oh, crikey. I look up at the television cameras. The flag comes down halfway. And I'm thinking, oh, the referee doesn't see it. But he did. He gave the offside decision. I'm surrounded by about five or six quid in loose coins that's been aimed at me. And then uh, then I get an orange, an orange half-eaten orange, I think, because it hit me on the right shoulder. And, uh, and bounced on the field and then a beer can that was yards away. But nonetheless, it was a token uh, unhappiness with my decision. And so I uh, I walked down the touchline um, towards a policeman sat on a canvas stool and he didn't, he didn't hear what I was saying and I, I moved nearer because I wasn't attracting his attention. Till eventually, I'm almost, I'm way out of position, by the way, but I'm almost uh, about a yard away from him. And I, and I shout, look, I need protection here, mate. They're throwing things at me. 
and he just looked up at me and just said, Lino, that was never offside in a million years. And then proceeded to tell me where to put the stick. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that day because, you know, uh, it's football. Football's about highs and lows. Um, Many games, I I can remember going to Anfield and refereeing a League Cup game. I think it was a League Cup. And and it finished up, uh, I think it was 1-1. And that was, oh, a hothouse of a game. And... and, uh, and Forrest on the night were absolutely superb. Uh, and it was a great game to referee. Both players showed me a great deal of respect. I was just looking through the um, the archives. And yes, you were right. It was 1-1. And a John Robertson penalty, apparently. And Forrest went on to win 2-1 on, on aggregate. Can you remember awarding a penalty at Anfield? I mean, I can't imagine it went down very well with the cop. Well, I think ultimately, at the end of the day... Uh, the one thing that a referee has to demonstrate is complete impartiality. And, you know, going to Old Trafford or, or going to Anfield, uh, you had to demonstrate that, you know, sometimes decisions that might have gone for them didn't because you're trying to get this accurate level of balance. Because the one thing that I've always said even when I was boss of the PJMOL, is that I didn't want the integrity of the referee question, and neither did I want my question. Now, I'll be the first to admit, as a referee, we're honest. If, if we're honest, then we, we've got to admit that we make errors. This one, um, yeah, I, I, like, all, like all big decisions in games, uh, you're not there. I'm not there to win the fans. I'm there to apply the laws. But at the same time, I had this thing that, said if if uh, if I could keep the game flowing at a high high pace uh, then in that situation we would have less controversies less dissent and players would uh, would get onto it another big semi-final that you refereed for Forest uh, was in 91 of course at Villa Park when Forest beat West Ham 4-0 and um you sent Tony Gale off uh, for West Ham for a professional foul on uh, on Gary Crosby in that game, um, and that law had just only just been brought in, hadn't it? That he could, he could be sent off. Yeah, I mean, hey, I was thrust in a position that uh, was difficult. Uh, make no mistake. Um, what happened was we. The, the, the law itself had been introduced at the start of the season. But we all interpreted it on the basis of it was brought in because of George Courtney's cup final, at, you know, when Willie Young brought the player down very cleanly and he was on goal. And so we, we actually started off that season by believing that we were looking for some cynical challenge rather than just a foul. And um, believe it or not, on the Thursday prior to that game, we were called to a meeting at Coventry, at the golf course. And uh, the FA announced to us that FIFA had been in touch with them and our interpretation of what was loosely termed the the professional found, now known as denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, was incorrect they were we were interpreting it incorrect incorrectly and that as of this coming weekend um 
where a foul is committed and the player has an opportunity to continue and, and score a goal, then that player has to be dismissed. And it happened. You know, uh, Tony Gale brought had every intention of bringing uh, Gary Crosby down. He brought him down. Crosby was a left-footed player making a run uh, and the red card popped out. It ruined the game. I, I'll be the first to admit that. And uh, the crowd gave me hell. Uh, but I was still satisfied, even after the end of the game, that I had done what the laws of the game wanted. Now, what I can tell you this is, I learned a lot from that game. I learned one thing. I, I said to myself, if, if the first thing I would start doing is talking to people about the laws of the game, about refereeing, I would, I would be prepared to talk to anyone. We didn't have social media in the, in the way that we have it now. And following through for the remainder of my career, and even today, uh, you know, five books later, you are the ref. Many meetings, um, you know, when I was boss of the PJMOL, I uh, I would say, right, okay, the law change is going to come in. I want all the managers of the Football League and the, and the Premier League to meet me. I would see them personally uh, in group format, and we would talk about the new laws and we would talk about interpretation. We'd probably even say, look, we're concerns about other aspects of the game. Uh, but I think it was so important because to be honest with you, the FA put referees up, up there to be shot at and they could have held that position for the remainder of the season. You know, when we play in the FA Cup semi-final, we're towards the end of the season. We're not, we're not at the start. So for me, Fans were looking around thinking, what's happening? The media hadn't got a clue, in fairness to them. And here was uh, Joe So, me, uh, having made this call. Uh, what I really got annoyed with, I've got to tell you on that day, and really upset, was I was in the car park. I threw my bag in the car park. Uh, David Allison, a, a really good football league referee, had drawn me the line, and he was very supportive. I was really upset having sent a player off and ruined the game. Knowing that I'd got to do it, and I just said, well, the law's an ass. If you're going to change the law, you do it at the beginning of the season or, or the interpretation law. And I got out in the car park, uh, one or two fans ex expressing their uh, disappointment, threw my bag in the boot, banged the boot lid down. I, I, I don't lose my cool. I don't get annoyed. And then this FA guy came up and said, well done, Keith, thought you were brilliant. And I looked at him and said, thought I was put up there and exposed a bit with your changed interpretation of the law. Ah, if you hadn't applied it, then you might have been suspended. So, so look at it on that, on that uh, basis. I've even said it in my column in The Telegraph that the communication side of football has got to improve. Fans have got to be made more aware. I watched a clip from the Australian A-League and Chris Beath, who's their top referee and someone I know really well, immediately after the game, answered three questions on what had taken place in that game. Uh, left the game with great clarity, fans knowing what they're doing. And when I look back and I look at Brian Clough and I look at his interviews, he opened up the window, didn't he? Because he was honest. You know, I wasn't surprised at that time and that his mate was Jeffrey Boycott. Yes. 
you know, because both of them, petty as it is. And um, a few years ago, I, the local newspaper gave me a, a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. I was really proud of, of receiving that. But I only talk about that, not because I received the award, but the greatest buzz I got was that a few years later, the same newspaper, the Sheffield Star, awarded posthumously Brian Clough that same award. And his family and Nigel uh, and came to, uh, Stephen came to collect it. And I just sat there thinking, what a lucky guy I was to, to have met him. And when he was ill, and I was in charge of the PGMOL, um, I would watch referees and go, go to the, the city ground. And I was sat in the director's box, and there was Brian Clough with a trilby hat. Not, in a way, not the same Brian Clough. He didn't look the same. And, uh, and I got a gesture from him uh, to just go across and join him. And, uh, and he asked me how I was going and, uh, was I enjoying the administration side? He said, because there's no better thing is that than being on the park, either refereeing or playing. That was the last time I spoke to him and, uh, he was right. He, he, he loved the game. He loved fans. He loved the club. I mean, I was often accused as the PGML boss of being outspoken and, and even now critical of referees at times. But I'm only critical of referees when they don't do the job. When they get, you know, as referees, we know we're going to make mistakes. But hey, if a player doesn't put the ball in the back of the net, then he might be dropped. And so when I dropped referees or even fired them, there was a level of accountability. And out of that, whether you love them or like them, you know, I look at some of the, I look at the referees now and I look at Martin Atkinson, I look at Mike Dean, you know, I look at Clattenburg, I look at Webb, I looked at Halsey, Paul Durkin, Jeff Winter. These were referees that I encouraged their personality. I wanted them to talk to players, you know, I, I wanted them to be open and honest. And to and you know, referees are in the best position. I'm on, I'm getting paid for being on the same field as some of these players. And if that's the great saves by by Shilton, if if that is you know the header of Larry Lloyd or the the boot of Kenny Burns, the dribble with the ball. John Robertson coming off that left wing and what a sweet left wing he had. And then Martin O'Neill, very disciplined. And, uh, you know, I, I, I once remember a league match where I refereed uh, Forest against Norwich City. And uh, it, it was like World War Two, and I, I could never understand why. Uh, even bef before the game was kicked off, there seemed to be some animosity. The atmosphere was different. And, uh, and and that that was also a game that I remember because my interference level in that particular game was to actually stop players getting sent off. And it was blow, 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 blow. And I came off at half-time and I said, I could do with not taking the whistle out in the second half, just let it melt down and <laughs> then we might get some football. But hey, yeah. that's football. 
I mean, I used to think about the fan. Yeah, I used to be a Stockport, Stockport County referee, and you used to see the fans buying buying pies on the way to the ground, and, and that was part of the tradition and enjoying it. And what you what you wanted to do is the fans to have their level of enjoyment. You know, I I, I talk about pies. I don't know why I've introduced it, but I, I'll tell you a story about a pie. <laughs> I went early to inspect. I, yeah. I went early to inspect a, a game at Bury Football Club, and I walked across the pitch. and The groundsman was convincing me it was playable, and I was dodgy, I was doubtful. So I said, "Look, I'll give it an hour and a half. Let's give it an hour and a half and see if it if it improves." And you work on it. And uh, about an hour later, he, he comes in, and we have a look, and I've. I've said okay we go ahead and I'm sat in the dressing room and in he walks with like half a dozen beaming up pies and says here you are Keith have one of these and I go I can't have one of them before the game he goes no have one and I go no it's okay he goes listen you ought to have one mate because it's one less pie that they can throw you <laughs> if you make a dodgy call <laughs> and uh, you know it's those a lot of people think we don't get enjoyment out of refereeing but we do we do. Even even when you're getting heckled from all sides, and you know you, you're not the most popular person in the ground. Well, I think that the reaction should be, "What have I done wrong?" But you also know that you know they pay the money; they're allowed to shout, uh, and and that's 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 part of the program. I mean, that's part of the development. You know, it's not a problem in front of ninety thousand, a hundred thousand, or whatever. It, it's when you're in the local parks, you know, I, I would often referee a game at the Premier League level or international level and the following day I'd be in the local parks refereeing grassroots football, just like Brian Clough did with his son. He's, he's done he's done Forest in a London game, he's come home and then the following day he's, he's watching his son on the local grass park and probably shouting, but he wouldn't be shouting at the referee like parents do now. That's the, that's the change in the game. Going back to 91, and Roger Milford uh, got a lot of criticism for that match. Cluffy said that Paul Gascoigne should have been sent off for, for two, what he described as despicable fouls. And of course, that could have changed the course of the game uh, if he had been sent off. Uh, I mean, one was a, a boot in the chest of Gary Parker. The other, um, he hacked down Gary Charles. Um, would you have sent Paul Gascoigne off in that situation? Without hesitation. Without hesitation. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I mean, I mean, I would referee in the local parks, and and the odd player when when you're having a bit of a go at a player, I'd say, "Come on, Keith, it's not the cup final," but it is. Your reputation lives on the last game, and then the next game. And therefore, for me, I think he was too liberal in in the application of the law. And of course, that influenced the outcome of the match in the same way that I'm doing the opposite. I'm, I'm applying the law as the authorities wanted me to apply. But they hadn't told the players, they hadn't told the captains, they hadn't told anybody. They told a bunch of less than 50 referees and, and only about 10 or 15 of them were involved that weekend your interpretations changed. So I, I was quite clear that every game for me uh, was a cup final and I wanted to give 100%. You, 
you know, I, I looked at the people, the referees I coached, people like Clattenburg and Webb and Halsey, and they would run minimum 11,500 metres per game. And they, they would run 1,000 metres at, at high speed intensity. And, and, you know, they'd go box to box in 11 seconds. They could do those comfortably, those things. You know, and sometimes those words of advice, which are uncomfortable to listen to, that might come from a manager or player, might well be the, the thing that actually enhances your future performances. Because, you know, that's why. When I was boss of the PJMOL, it was assessors, assessing assessors, if you like, uh, that, that like police policemen. And I said, I want to change the system. I want assessors, former referees, to advise. But I also wanted ex-players and ex-managers to also uh, review and watch the referees' performances. So as a consequence, uh, I had a, a, a group of match delegates, former players, who people like Kenny Hibbert, Dennis Smith and others, John Duncan, were, were match delegates who would go to games, look at the referees' performance, go into the dressing room after the match and offer it some operational advice and I think that rounded people like Webb and Paul and Clattenburg and Dean and you know I mean Dean gets criticised because really he's the only referee on the panel now that's got a bit of personality somebody sent me a photograph this week of Roger Kirkpatrick Mr Pickwick as, I, as we used to call him in Sheffield you know and, and his actions his body language I mean it, it, no, it, no, it, it wouldn't be anywhere near the professional game now. But we've got to understand that we're still part of the game, and but the players are the main, the main protagonists, and managers should be listened to. With managers, you, you mentioned there. Obviously, Cluffy, we've we've spoken about. He ensured that his players behaved on the pitch or else. Um, you were in charge of that uh, infamous match, shall we say, between Manchester United and Arsenal, where the, the big brawl broke out. D do you think in cases like that, that the managers should take more responsibility and make sure their players don't get out of control? And, um, and are points deductions the best way of enforcing that rather than fines? Well, there was a series of mass confrontations in games leading up to that particular game. So we were, we, we were reasonably aware that it could happen. Um, I think my own work then of the teams that I was going to referee is, is much less than the, what referees do now, if I'm honest. So out of nothing, and I wasn't aware that there was conflict between two players. So uh, that wasn't good. Uh, for the game, not being aware and, and perhaps not being more, if you like, prepared for what happened. Anyhow, it happened and I'm in the middle of it and I'm left with, after it's calmed down, and it was like 15 seconds of, of man, but after it's calmed down, I asked myself, well, who am I going to send off? Because I'd piled in and had seen, not seen much. I'd, I'd seen a lot, if you know what I mean. So I was left with, I abandoned the game, and you might ask why, uh, because um, what we have got here is we've got the potential of uh, 
sending 21 players off. Because the goalkeeper, Seaman, had stayed in his between the sticks. So I'm stood there, I'm thinking, it's, it's one or 21. What's, what's fair? And uh, so I decided I'm not going to send anybody off and I will report the matter. And then we went to the FA and I was asked at the FA, Mr Hackett, um, would you have sent anybody off now you've seen the video? And I said, well, of course. There was no hesitation that I wouldn't send anybody off. But I'm a guy who wants to be fair. And so you could be sat here now listening to 21 appeals because that's the number if I'm going to be fair that I would send off not to, two talking red cards I said and the other side of it is I also thought about abandoning the match but I looked around me and thought I wonder what's going to happen if I suddenly put 50, 60,000 spectators out of this stadium and are they going to get the money back so a lot of things run through my mind in that, if you like, those seconds of calming down. But what I did do after that was, um, again, when I became development manager of the PGMOL when it was first formed, and then the boss, was to write a very clear protocol. So now, and I went to the Premier League and said, look, it's got to stop. These things have got to stop because there are areas which a referee cannot control. And it's bad for your image. And as soon as I said it's bad for the image of the game, they then listened. And I, and I, I wrote the protocol, which is referee gets in, he doesn't jump in like I did. He stands and watches, takes note. The two assistants move in and also observe. When it's calmed down, the referee, if he has to, he sends off the players, the, the ones with the red cards. He then asks the assistant referees, are there any more reds? And in that situation, if they are, he then ships someone else. And then finally, are there any yellows? And issues the yellows. And if you look at the nine, 1996 Carling Cup final, in the very closing stages of that game, Howard Webb was in charge. Game between Arsenal and uh, Chelsea, there was, a, there was a mass confrontation, resulting in players being sent off in yellow cards. But it was actually plastic uh, method of dealing with mass confrontation. But on the other side of the coin, I sat and discussed this with uh, the people at the Premier League, and the, the outcome of that was they then agreed that any mass confrontation, the clubs would be fined up to, up to a quarter of a million pounds. As, and it was a deterrent. And, it, and for a period of time, He'd act as a deterrent. They never, they never got to that level, but they got the 50,000s and, and what have you. Um, so, hey, from that, we learned a lot, and I think we see less of it now. You retired not long after Cluffy had retired. How will you remember him? As a public figure who opened the eyes of non-football people, to our wonderful game of football. His honesty and integrity, from my perspective, could not be faltered. His support of referees, I think he's top of the list. He's, he's, he really is, for me, the only manager in the game that has taken action off the field of play 
with his players to clearly inform them, look, let the referee get on with his job. And he, he, he didn't like cheating. So I think it'd be interesting if he was here now, what he would think to the ducking and diving that we see. And I'd love to hear his comments about the £100 million pound player. I, you know, I'm, I'm not having a go at, at uh, the players that's being given that value. It's just the, the fact that Fluffy was prepared to, to pay a million for someone. Um, and he, and uh, that was a major move when he, made, he did that. So for me, someone I admired, someone I respected, and I was always uh, pleased when I was appointed to Forest. It was always great going to the city ground. Um, yes, I could drive there when I got a car, uh, but I will remember that walk from the station as being nice exercise and uh, looking forward to the game ahead. Well, Keith Hackett, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, listening to your memories and, and uh, opinions, of course. And uh, thanks so much as well for your uh, valuable contribution to the beautiful game. Uh, I think we all appreciate that. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Marcus. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. It's really great to see that the podcast has now been downloaded in more than 50 countries. Don't forget to visit the Tribute website, brianclough.com, for more stories and classic quotes and the chance to help the types of good causes that Brian supported. I hope you can join me again soon when we'll have more memories of the great man in the green jumper.